In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, on God, Amen. We will continue our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 22, starting from verse 47. And while he, the Lord Jesus, was still speaking, behold, a multitude, he was speaking in the garden of Gethsemane. Behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? We see here actually how multitude, a crowd, came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. This crowd was from Judas, accompanied by some of the chief priests and also the temple guards, as well as Roman soldiers led by an officer. So Judas, chief priests, temple guards, Roman soldiers, led by an officer. And they sent actually a large number which shows us that the religious leaders clearly regarded this as a dangerous operation to be done without risk of right or failure. And when uh, St. Luke mentioned the name of Judas. He said one of the twelve, one of the disciples of Christ, whom he chosen, whom he called, whom he ordained, but he was unfaithful to his master. And Judas went before them to lead them to the place and to show them the man, Jesus, they wanted. And definitely nothing can be a greater grief to the Lord Jesus than to be betrayed by those who profess to be his followers and say that they love him. This actually shows us every time we sin against the Lord, it is a sin uh, of betrayal and this causes grief and sorrow in the heart of the Master. And when we compare the reaction of the Lord Jesus Christ to the reaction of the disciples at the time of arrest, we can see how the Lord, his reaction was totally different than the rest of the disciples. At the Garden of Gethsemane, the Lord prayed. They slept. Although the Lord told them, watch and pray, lest we enter into temptation, but they slept. He prayed, and his prayer was answered when the Father sent an angel to strengthen the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when the hour of mortal danger struck, the Lord was in the greatest calm, but the disciples were afraid, and they ran away. So, Nothing here disturbed his serenity. He was peaceful. And with 
كل ماجستي هي ادفانسد تو ميت ذا تريتور تو ميت جودس اس جودس جايدد ذا انيميز ذا سولجرز اند ذا تمبل جاردز تو اريست جيسوس هي ليت ذيم تواردز ذا لورد جيسوس كرايست اند هير وي سي هاو ذا لورد اكشلي ادفانسد تو ميت جودس اند اول ذا سولجرز without any fear. Uh, definitely, it was a strange and startling detail for the evangelists when they wrote how one of the twelve, one of those whom were chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ, had been the betrayer. And Judas came, he agreed with the soldiers that the sign or the signal will be a kiss. So this was the sign agreed upon between Judas and the chief priests. They know it was night, and Gethsemane was shaded with olive trees. That's why an obvious sign is necessary to indicate to the guard which one of the 12, Jesus and 11, is the master whom they want to seize. But we know from the Gospel of St. John that this sign was unnecessary. In the Gospel of St. John, the Lord actually went to the guards and asked them, whom do you want? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he told him, I am he. So he introduced himself. And three times he told them, I am he. And they were afraid and went backward and fell down. So this signal was unnecessary. And the Lord Jesus Christ knew the irony of being betrayed was a warm greeting. How you are coming to give me a kiss and you are using this kiss, which is a sign of love, you are using as a sign of uh, betrayal. That's why in sincere liturgy, before the deacon says, greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, Abuna in the reconciliation prayer define two important characteristics of the holy kiss. Number one, not with a lustful desire. And number two, not with ungenuine heart or a heart of a betrayer. These are two important characteristics of the holy case. No lustful desire and not with a heart of a traitor. Uh, so the Lord asked him, as if he asked him, are you so dead to all feelings that you can kiss and betray? And here we notice that the Lord called him by his name, Judas. As if the Lord is saying, what Judas, my apostle, my friend, in whom I trusted, 
He made him the treasurer and with whom I trusted all my worldly affair. Are you coming to betray me with a kiss? Uh, and with Judas, we can see the Jewish leaders carried the weapons of hatred in their hearts. The soldiers carried the swords. And Judas came forward with a kiss from his lips that was more bitter to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ than all other weapons. This kiss actually grieved the heart of the Lord more than all the other weapons. Verse 49. When those around him, the eleven, saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So the disciples, anticipating the action of the representatives of the authority, ask direction from the Lord, should we strike with the sword? And one of them, Peter, not waiting for an answer, strikes out. In the Gospel of St. John, we know that it was Peter who cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest and the name of the servant Malchus, as we read in John 18, verse 10. When Peter used the power of the sword, he could only cut off ears. But when he used the power of the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, like on the day of Pentecost, he was able to pierce the hearts of 3,000 persons who converted to uh, Christianity. And here we can see how the Lord, even during time of, of his arrest, he is present to clean up the mess that his disciples left behind. He healed the damage done by Peter. Verse 51, but Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. What does this mean, permit even this? The exact meaning of these words has been much debated. Uh, some commentators said, maybe the Lord was speaking to the company of armed men and pleading with the high priest to permit Malchus to come to him or permit Jesus to go to this servant in order to heal it. So he told them, permit even this. Give me this opportunity to show kindness and love to this servant who came to arrest me. Allow this to happen. So maybe he was speaking to the high priest. Other commentators said, no. He was speaking to the disciples and to Peter. Permit let them arrest me. Permit even this. Allow them to arrest me. So 
Peter, stop your hand. Don't proceed any further. Put uh, your sword back in its grab. It is the time for me to be arrested and to go to the cross. And we can see here that even throughout the arrest sequence, the Lord was in control of the events. He was in control. He said to the uh, guards, I am he. He was not afraid. And he was controlling his disciples who wanted to protect him. Verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So after the Lord had performed this miracle and had quieted them up and restrained them from falling upon the apostles, as he said to them, let them go about the apostles. Because if they attack the apostles, apostles will weak people. Maybe they would cut them into pieces. Uh, now he's addressing the chief priests. And we can see in the front we have Judas, behind him the soldiers and the temple guards, and standing at a distance where the chief priests, they want to be at distance from the conflict. But after the guards and the soldiers arrested the Lord Jesus Christ, now they felt safe to draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is a reproach to them for their cowardice and secrecy to stand behind. And here the Lord was addressing the high priests and the elders of the people. And he told them, if I had really done something wrong, how is it you did not arrest me in the temple? That's actually your authority. Why you are waiting to come and to arrest me in the darkness, in this garden, away from everybody? But it is your hour and the power of darkness. So uh, Jesus now is giving explanation why he allowed himself to be taken by the chief priest and the captain of the temple. Why? Why he did not put a fight? Why he did not ask the Father to send legend of angels? Because it is now the time determined by God from before the ages. It is the time, it is the fullness of time for the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the cross. It's the time to deliver himself to their hands that they do with him what they wanted. So the Lord actually was not arrested against his own will, but he was arrested by his authority by his determination in the time that he had appointed 
before the foundation of the world. And the physical darkness, they arrested him at night, uh, maybe around midnight. This time actually was like a symbol of the moral darkness. The dark of night is fitting for the power of darkness. This power of darkness controlled the souls and the hearts of his adversary. They are the children of darkness as opposed to the Christian who are the children of the light because the light is the Lord Jesus Christ. Sincere of Alexandria said, you have one hour against me. That is a very short and limited time between the precious cross and the resurrection from the dead. This is your time, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Verse 54, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. The Lord actually was tried six trial at that night. Three religious trials and three civil trials. The first one before Anas, the high priest. The second one before Qiyafa. The third one before the Sanhedrin. These are the three religious trials. Then the three civil, the first one before Pilate. Then Pilate sent him to Herod when he knew the Jesus from Galilee. Then Herod sent him back to Pilate. So he, he was tried six times three religious and three uh, civil. So after they arrested him, they led him, uh, they bound him and led him out of the garden. And see here, despite of the miracle he just performed right now, and the kindness and the humanity that he had shown in healing the ear of the servant who came to arrest him, and in spite of his moving words to the chief priests, but they were heartless. They arrested him and now taking him to be tried at the house of the high priest. But what happened arresting him and taking him to the house of high priest confirmed his words. This is your hour and the power of darkness. It is your time and the power was given to you. The, you are the agents of Satan. You are a, a, acting against me. Uh, before Jesus went to the house of Qiyafa, the official high priest, he was led to the home of Anas. Anas was the ex-high priest. And Anas actually was the power behind the throne as if he was actually the actual high priest. Uh, the official one was Qiyafa, and Qiyafa was the son-in-law to Anas. So uh, Qiyafa was the legal high priest, uh, but uh, the official high priest, but Anas actually 
was overthrown by the Roman power. Uh, but Anas, although prevented by the Roman government from being the high priest, but all the people perceived Anas as the rightful possessor of dignity. He is the actual high priest. And he exercised the chief authority in the Jewish council. So before the government, it was Qiyafa, but before the people, it was Anas. That's why he took, they took him first to Anas, then to Qiyafa. Uh, and it seems that both Anas and Qiyafas left together or occupied together the high priest palace. So as I told you, there were three trials of our Lord by the Jews. That is the religious trials, other than the civil. The first one before Anas, second one before Qiyafas, and the third one before the entire uh, Sanhedrin. It was early in the morning, at the dawn. Verse 55. Now we saw how Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. So, uh, Peter was concerned for the Lord Jesus Christ and wanted to know what would happen to him. Uh, no doubt there was in the heart of Peter this impulsive, loving man. There was sorrowful anxiety and deep sorrow for the fate of his uh, beloved master. Yet he did not have the courage to associate the Lord Jesus Christ clearly when they arrested him. That's why he followed at distance. And this distance actually make it more difficult for Peter to admit his association with the Lord Jesus Christ when he was questioned whether he is one of the followers or not. So, uh, after the arrest at Gethsemane, all the eleven ran away. But John and Peter, both of them, once they saved themselves from the hands of the armed band, so the, and after they recovered from the first panic, they wanted to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and his guards to the city to see what would happen to him. So Peter entered and sat among the servant as one of them. And it was a cold night, so now find the warmth around their fire and hoping to blend in so he may knew what is going to happen to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter put himself among the servants of those who arrested and persecuted the Lord. Verse 56, And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. 
But Peter said, man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. So now we come to the denial of Peter three times. First time, a certain servant girl looking upon him and taking notice of him, observed his expression and gesture. Um, as he sat by the fire, she recognized him as one of the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. St. Luke told us the sad story of Peter's denial without interruption, but he said it as gentle as he can. He omitted the cursing and swearing. Matthew mentioned that Peter cursed and swore, but Luke was a kind heart he did not want to expose Peter. So he mentioned gently the denial of Peter. We know that Peter denied three times, but also he denied in three specific ways. Not only three times, but three specific ways. First, he denied knowing Jesus. When he said to the girl, woman, I do not know him. So he denied knowing him. Then he denied being a follower of Jesus. When he said to the man, man, I am not, I'm not a follower of Jesus. So he doesn't know him and he's not a follower of Jesus. Finally, he denied that even he is from Galilee. When he said he is a Galilean, he said, man, I do not know what you are saying. So even he denied that he is from Galilee. When this uh, uh, female servant was positive assertion confronted Peter and not knowing how to clear himself, he denied that Jesus is his own master and he is one of his disciples. Peter when the Lord told him, this night you will deny me three times, Peter said, no, I am ready to go with you, to be arrested with you, to go with you to the prison, even to die with you. So Peter, who said that he would die with the Lord, now he is denying him because he was frightened at this servant meant. And he denied him from the first attack upon him. And then when the second, another man came uh, and accused Peter that he is a follower of Jesus, Peter denied for the second time. And as I told you, Matthew said that the last denial of Peter began, Peter began to curse and swear. Why he cursed and swore? Trying to convince them that he is not one of his followers, hoping that it would help to distance himself from the association with the Lord.
And you can see here Peter was challenged by servants of both genders, a female and two men. The second man points out that he is a Galilean, maybe by his accent or his manner of dress or both. Uh, and usually when you lie once, you will continue to lie to cover the first lie. So Peter lied to this servant girl. Now he continued to lie to the second man and to the third one. Then the rooster crowed. Uh, Mark, the only one, mentioned uh, the two crowing of the rooster. Because the Lord told him, you will deny me, the rooster will crow twice, and you will deny me three times. Mark is the only one who mentioned the two crowing of the rooster. Uh, the rooster is in the hand of God. And God used the rooster as an instrument to uh, awake Peter, the fallen apostle, as he used the whale to awaken Jonah. And God actually in control of the nature. So he used the nature, uh, wind, storm, animals, uh, birds, to send us message. So God does not only speak to us through the Bible, through the fathers in the church, uh, through godly friends, but he can speak to us even through the nature, as he spoke to Peter through the rooster. Verse 61, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. And usually, I ask myself this question, how Peter knew that the Lord looked at him? If I'm looking at you right now, and you are not looking at me, you will not know that I looked at you. So I want you to imagine here, while Peter was denying the Lord, he was looking at the Lord. Maybe he was looking, feeling guilty that out of his weakness, he's denying the Lord. Or maybe he's denying, looking at the Lord, whether the Lord is seeing him or not. But what I'm trying to tell you, even in the time of weakness, if you keep your eye on the Lord, this actually will save you. Because keeping your eye on the Lord will actually move the, the feeling of repentance as happened with Peter. When his eye got in contact with the eyes of the Lord, he went outside and wept bitterly. Uh, so this moment when the Lord looked at Peter, it was a turning point in Peter's life. And maybe this is the most touching incident uh, mentioned only by St. Luke. When Jesus looked at Peter, he was not angry. His look was full of uh, tenderness, uh, pity. He was not angry, but sorrowful. But this actually made Peter 
to return to his honorable self. Uh, as if the Lord is saying to Peter, Peter, you do not know me? Is it true that you do not know me? We just mentioned that the Lord looked at the chief priests and told them, I was with you every day in the temple and you did not arrest me. His words did not move anything in their heart, had no impression on them. But on Peter, it had impression. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. You know why? Because there is a big difference between a sin of weakness and a sin of betrayal. Judas and the chief priests, their sin is a sin of betrayal. But Peter's sin was sin of weakness. Then Peter remembered, but it was too late. He already sinned, he already denied. But was immediately convicted of his sin. Not only of his denial, but also of his pride that he said to the Lord, if all denied you, I will not deny you. This was a prideful statement from Peter. So his reaction at this moment, he wept bitterly, but without losing hope. He wept bitterly, but he remembered also the words of the Lord when he told him, Satan asked to sift you, but I prayed for you that your faith will not fail. So, because of the prayer of the Lord, because of the strength that he got from the Lord, that's why his faith did not fail. Yes, Peter fell, but had not fallen away like Judas. Verse 63, now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him. And having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. There are many things that happened at that night, but St. Luke did not record them. Uh, as I told you, he was tried at the house of Annas and house of Qiyasa, and the details of the trial St. Luke did not mention. Uh, but actually, you can read this in detail in Matthew chapter 26. So, what St. Uh, Luke missed to record? The false witnesses who could not agree, the charge by two witnesses against the Lord Jesus Christ that he would destroy the temple and within three days he would rebuild it, the high priest ordering Jesus under oath before God to say if he was the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of God, and the high priest tearing his robe as he condemned Jesus of blasphemy after Jesus quoted from Daniel 7.13 and Psalm 110 verse 1. So Luke did not mention any of these things 
that were mentioned by the other evangelists. But he recorded for us what happened immediately after the trial at the house of high priest, Qiyafa and Anas, that Jesus was mocked and beaten by religious authorities. They actually blinded, uh, blindfolded him. So being blinded, Jesus endured these slaps and punches in, his, uh, in pain. Matthew and Mark added that they spat in his face. Of course, if the Lord wanted to draw to his rightful resources of divine power, because he is God, he would answer who exactly struck him. But in all this, Jesus refused to draw to the resources of his divine power and authority. And the Jews in this terrible scene were unconsciously working out a literal fulfillment of Isaiah's picture of the righteous sufferer, as you read it in Isaiah 1, verse 6, and Isaiah 53, from verses 3 to 7. So, without realizing, they were fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important to see how the Lord replied to their hatred by love. Don't repay evil with evil. Love your enemies. So it was important so that those who are abused and humiliated can find a refuge in a God who knows what they experience. God knows exactly what those who are humiliated and abused, what they experience. And St. Luke actually, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ was accused of blasphemy when he said, I am the Son of God. But Luke, now he's explaining to us who indeed blasphemed. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ or these uh, people? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. So, here this expression is remarkable. They charged the Lord Jesus with blasphemy because he said he was the Son of God. But now St. Luke fixes that charge on them because Jesus indeed he is the Son of God. So by spitting on him, hitting him, uh, uh, humiliating him, actually they blasphemed. Verse 66, as I told you, Jesus was tried three times, religious trial. And Nas Now this is the third trial, verse 66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. But I will answer. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Son of Man was used by Daniel about the Messiah. And sitting at the right hand, uh, of God, that's what Saint, um, David said in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. 
So he told them, I am the Messiah. You want to know the answer? I am the Messiah. But you will not believe me. And if I ask you anything, you will not answer. And you will not let me go. So according to St. Luke, the Sanhedrin now first comes together after they break. And Jesus is let in for trial. St. Luke did not tell us where they assembled uh, in the house of the high priest or somewhere else. But they asked him a question. If you are the Christ, tell us. And the answer to this question is reported only by St. Luke. Uh, So they are asking him, are you the Messiah? Because Christ and Messiah are synonymous. Christ means the chrismated one, the anointed one. Messiah, you know, Hebrew and Arabic are closed. Messiah, Al-Mamsuh, Al-Masih. So Messiah and Christ is the same word. Uh, And our Lord actually told them several times that he is a Messiah. As we read in John chapter 8, verse 58, in John chapter 10, verse 30, when he said, I and the Father are one. But they did not believe. So, as if the Lord telling them, you have seen my life, you have heard my words, you have seen my works, and you do not believe. Why should I say it again to you? Are you going to believe? They pretended to have open mind and they are asking a sincere question. But this was like a trap. They asked him this question, so if he answered, I am the Messiah, they will say, he blasphemed, the sentence is death. So it was deception. So the words were according an indirect protest against their claim to question him. What Jesus is saying is that it is useless to discuss this point with them because they were not really open to the truth. You you will not believe me. Uh, They had already Actually, they had already, before meeting or trying him, determined his fate. He wanted him to be killed. So they could care less about the truth, whether he is a Messiah or not. They want to kill him. And he told them, if I answer you, if I ask you a question, you will by no means answer. You know, the Lord asked him, them two questions before. One time when they told them the baptism of Jonah, is it from heaven or from earth? And they told him, we don't know. And they asked him another question about Psalm 110. He told them, we know that the Messiah is the son of David. How David calls him his Lord when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And they did not answer. So the Lord asked them these questions about the sonship of the Messiah, how he is the son of David and the Lord of David, 
and they don't answer. So they asked him in unlawful spirit and also in unlawful manner. So the Lord told him, if I tell you the truth, you will not believe me. If I ask you a question about the Messiah, you will not answer me. And you will, let, you will not let me go. Why should I answer? Uh, as if you want to tell them, instead of asking me who I claim to be, because this is not a claim, it is the truth. You should ask who I am. I am the Messiah. I'm indeed the Son of God. But the Lord at the end decided to put an end to this weary and useless trial. Do you want me to tell you I'm a Messiah to arrest me? Here it is. So he supplied his judges with the evidence they were seeking to obtain from him. And he responded by referring to two Old Testament passages. The first in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, in which actually the divine Messiah is called the son of a man. Looking like a son of a man, like a human, this was in reference to his incarnation, who came on the clouds of heaven to God the Father, to receive power and dominion over all nations. You can read this in Daniel chapter 7. So when he told him, from now on you see the Son of Man, they know this is about the Messiah according to Daniel. Sit on the right hand of God, that is Psalm 110. Uh, when actually the Lord asked them, how David about the Messiah saying he is his Lord, although we know the Messiah is the son of David. And since the Lord has already taught that David was referring not to his son, but the Messiah who is greater, because he called him Lord, he's obviously using this psalm to identify himself as the Messiah. So he used Daniel and Psalm 110 to tell them the answer you are looking for, I am the Messiah. Go ahead and sentence me to death. Both passages from Daniel and the book of Psalms refer to the role of the Lord Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God after his resurrection and ascension. That's why he told them hereafter, which means the second or the next time you will see me when I come on the cloud to judge the world, in my second coming, you will see me seated at the right hand of the Father. And you will see me as the Son of Man. So, I am the Messiah. Verse 70. Then they all said, are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. When Moses asked God in the book of, of Judas, What's your name? The Lord God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
So I am egoimi mean refer to God. So when the Lord said I am, everybody understood that he is saying I am God. I am the Messiah. Uh, many people non-Christian nowadays claim that Jesus never ever referred to himself that he is God. No, because he ignorant of this term I am. I am in Greek egoimi. Egoimi means I am God. And no one dared to use this term except Jesus Christ. That's why when they arrested him and they told him we need Jesus of Nazareth and he told him I am Egoimi actually they went backward and fell they were scared to be in front of God so when the Lord said I am he actually saying I am God so indeed the Lord said I am God and this got him crucified. Last verse in, in the chapter 22, verse 71. And they said, what further testimony do we need? He gave him what they were looking for. Blasphemy, according to them. What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So when Jesus answered, I am, they felt they had him and can charge him of blasphemy, which carried the penalty of death. For we have heard ourselves from his own mouth. We have heard him profess himself the Son of God. He is therefore guilty of blasphemy and they must proceed against and condemn him to this. But according to the Roman government, they cannot kill anyone. So they have to take him to the government, to the Roman governor, in order to uh, execute him. That's why they proceeded as far as they could. He must now be brought before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and the Jews had no power to put him to death. The Roman government took this power from the Jews. That's why they had to go to Pilate. And then when he went to Pilate, the other three trials, civil trials, started. This concludes chapter 22 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.